Would your book, program, product, or organization be of interest to the other listeners of Fierce Women Writing? Advertise on the show and reach smart, creative people who love writing in books, just like you. For more info, there's links in the show notes to the contact page of my website or slide into my DMs on Instagram. Welcome to Fierce Women Writing, a podcast where female voices are elevated, creativity is ignited, and writers are inspired. I believe that stories can enlighten, heal, and entertain the reader and the writer. First, the writer has to quiet their doubts long enough to get the words on the page. I'm here to help you put your doubts away and focus on your creativity. Every day I talk to writers and would-be writers who aren't writing. They're not writing because they don't think they're good enough, because they've been rejected, don't have time, or don't know where to start. That's why I created this show so that you can hear from other writers who want to inspire you to share the stories that only you can tell. I'm Sarah Gallagher. Come write with me. Hey there, fierce writers. Today's guest is Elizabeth Bell. Elizabeth has been writing stories since the second grade. At the age of 14, she chose a pen name and vowed to become a published author. After earning her MFA in creative writing at George Mason University, Elizabeth realized she would have to return her 200 library books. Instead, she cleverly found a job in the university library where she works to this day. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Hello, I'm very happy to be here. Elizabeth, what are the ideal conditions for you to write? Ah, (laughs) I hope you can't hear the dogs barking in the background. That is not ideal. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I, I... I have friends who can write on like trains and in busy coffee shops. And that's not me. Unfortunately, I would prefer a sensory deprivation chamber. I just, I, I have to eliminate as many um, distractions as possible. And I prefer complete quiet, um, where I can just disappear into the, the world of my characters. I can totally understand that. Can you explain for us why you write um, because I can't not, um, that I, I always am, am hearing the, the characters' voices in my head. And it's also, I've just been a very, a curious person wanting to understand everything. <laughs> and, and, um, I write historical fiction. And so that involves a lot of research. And so it's just really pursuing and trying to un- unpack something that I don't quite understand. And, and, um, so that's what writing is about for me, trying to understand things and experience um, things I wouldn't normally in my daily life. What are your best writing tips? Woo. <laughs> um, just make make time for it, obviously, but um, don't don't let anybody tell you that your your process is wrong. That if you don't write any day every day, you're not a real writer. Um, cause that's, that's definitely not me. I write in like long weekends are, are best for me. And so figure out what works for you and, and do it and don't let people make you feel ashamed because you're not doing something that's supposed to be the proper way to do it. And definitely find your, your writing tribe, even though writing is a very solitary endeavor, you want to have people you can, who can commiserate with you and um, bounce ideas off of and get feedback and honest feedback that aren't just gonna, you know, pat you on the head and say that's great every time. (laughs) Um, So I guess those are the, the major things. 
Thank you. What are your suggestions for someone trying to overcome a block? Well, there's a couple of things that I do that I don't know um, would work for everyone. I mean, because like I said, I write historical fiction. So I always return to my research because usually when I'm blocked, that's because I I know I'm out of my depth and I don't understand something well enough to, to write about it. So then I, I hit my research books again. Um, if you're not writing research, it's been really helpful because a lot of writers struggle with self-doubt. And that's certainly me and thinking you're not good enough and you'll never be good enough for to tell this story. Um, and then I, I go back and I kind of collect positive things that people have said about my writing and reread those. And then that makes me feel good and inspires me, you know. <laughs> what about editing and revising tips? Well, the way, I mean, I've written in in various ways through the various drafts of this giant project that I did. Um, Kind of the way I prefer to write is going chapter by chapter when I I knew the the full arc of the story and not finishing one chapter until I was fairly satisfied with it um, and then moving on to the the next chapter. Um, So I don't know. That probably wouldn't work for, for everyone because a lot of people just like to speed through the, the first draft. But that, that works well for me kind of cycling back even when I'm, I'm still working on like chapter three and, and looking back at what I've done before moving forward. But that's a very slow <laughs> way to write. For proofreading, I've, I've been happy to discover the words read aloud feature because that literally takes you through every word. So it's much easier to find those words that you think are there that your mind is filling in but that aren't really there. Is that a feature on a certain program? It's on Microsoft Word. I'm sure other other things have it. Um, it's any any program that can read aloud to you. It's a computerized voice reading every word in your your manuscript. <laughs> For our listeners interested in publishing, can you estimate your submission to publication ratio? Ooh, very low. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a, a long struggle that, um, let's see, because I, I submitted to well over, for my debut novel, well over 100 agents and about 15 editors at like small presses that um, accepted direct submissions that I got special permission to submit to them. And I only had like maybe five full requests out of that um or full or it was between five and ten full and partial requests from either cold querying or or pitching um in person at conferences so it was it was quite low lower than 10 percent who are some other women writers that we should be reading right now goodness i mean i read almost exclusively historical fiction and nonfiction, so um those are the people that i'm familiar with Let's see. Jewel, Jewel Parker Rhodes, who wrote Douglas's Women, was one of the fantastic novels that I've read in the in the past few years. Again, historical fiction. I just, I love that way of really digging deep and getting in the, the psychology of people in the past. I'm currently listening to, um, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I'm currently listening to... The Parting Glass by Gina Marie Guadagnino. It's Italian, um, which is very good. Um, and then Amanda Skienendor, um is another very recently published author who's amazed me. Where are some places that listeners can find you online? 
Well, the most centralized place would be my website, which is elizabethbellauthor.com. Um, I'm most, in social media wise, I'm most active on Facebook, which I believe the direct link is also Elizabeth Bell Author after Facebook. And I mean, my books are on Goodreads as well. Fierce Women Writing is a partner of Quill's Edge Press, a small yet mighty nonprofit press dedicated to publishing the poetry of women who are at least 40 years old. Right now, I'm reading their anthology entitled 50 Over 50, and they're currently accepting submissions for their next anthology. Learn more at quillsedgepress.org. Would you read some of your work for us now? So I'm going to read the the very beginning of um, my debut novel, which takes place uh, mostly in Charleston, South Carolina. The opening scene is in September 1822. Um, And so this book is about a young man who becomes a Catholic priest. Joseph knew he was committing a terrible, terrible sin that he could only draw closer. He'd been alive ten whole years, and he'd never seen anything so beautiful. It occupied the very center of the painting. Soft and round, smooth and crowned, there between the lips of the Christ child, unmistakable, the perfect pink nipple of the mother of God. Joseph should be imitating his patron saint, who stood at the edge of the canvas. White-haired and lumpy-faced, Mary's husband seemed oblivious to his wife and son, peering at a book through the spectacles on his nose. Much as Joseph himself liked to read, he could not imagine concentrating on lifeless pages in such company. Draped in rich robes and her own golden hair, the Blessed Virgin gazed down serenely at her divine son. The Christ child's arms encircled Mary's right breast possessively, his green eyes pointing out of the painting as if he sensed Joseph's unholy stare. Joseph! He jumped and closed his eyes. Only then did he realize his mouth was open, too. His sister Kathy continued behind him from the threshold. Haven't you found it yet? Joseph turned quickly to distract her from the painting. He'd completely forgotten why he'd come into Papa's office. Mama, Kathy, and Ellen were knitting something for the children at the orphan house. Only their scissors had broken. Joseph had been seated nearby at the piano forte, and he'd offered to fetch another pair from Papa's office. Huffing with impatience, Kathy strode to his desk. Joseph tried the drawers of Papa's medical cabinet and found scissors. On their way out of the office, he and Kathy passed the painting of Headless St. Denis, the one their father had had for years. Joseph had never seen the portrait of the Holy Family before. Papa must have brought it back from Paris. In the parlor, Mama signed her thanks for the scissors by touching her fingertips to her mouth and then gesturing toward Joseph. She would not be smiling if she knew why he had lingered in Papa's office. Mama snipped whatever needed snipping, then returned her attention to her work. Joseph sat down again at the piano, but as he stared at the pages in front of him, the notes became fuzzy. He dropped his eyes to the keys, but all he could see was that breast, that nipple. Were all women so beautiful? Were all boys as wicked as he was? Joseph closed his eyes tightly, and still the vision lingered. He tried desperately to pray, but the words would not come. Fortunately, before too long, Papa returned from visiting patients. Hélène ran to show him the mess of wool she claimed would soon be a mitten. 
Papa praised it and kissed the top of her head. Joseph ventured, Papa? Yes, son? He answered as Elaine scampered back to Mama. May I go to church before supper? Is the choir practicing today? Papa sounded confused, though Joseph didn't see his expression because he couldn't meet his eyes. No, sir. Joseph, what's troubling you, son? His sisters stopped chattering to each other, and Joseph felt their stares. Mama must be watching, too. Papa moved a chair next to the piano stool and sat facing Joseph. When Papa spoke, he sounded very grave. You want to go to confession, don't you? Joseph nodded miserably. He'd committed a mortal sin. His soul was in peril. What if the Negroes tried to rebel again and weren't caught as Denmark Vesey had been? What if they killed Joseph in his sleep tonight? He would go straight to hell. He deserved it. Whatever it is you think you've done, Joseph, you know you can talk to me about it? Again, he nodded. But his earthly father couldn't grant him absolution. Couldn't make his soul clean again. You do realize that most people confess only once a year. Father LaRoche says he confesses every week, Joseph murmured, and that we should too. What a priest had to confess, Joseph still didn't understand. He heard Papa draw in a breath to respond. But then, from the other side of the room, came the familiar, insistent, yet polite finger snap Mama used to attract their attention. Kathy must have been translating for her. Mama made Papa's sign name, and the expression on her face turned it into a plea. Let him go, she said with her hands. Papa turned to her. In the three years since he began, our son, our perfect son, has made more confessions than most people do their entire lives. Mama frowned. Papa was criticizing her, too. She took Joseph every Saturday. Kathy would go with them only once a month. None of her friends confessed more often than that, she said. At the church, Mama always went first, clutching her little notebook till she passed it to Father LaRoche. He would read her transgressions and then write down her penance. Afterward, as Joseph watched Mama burning the pages, he would wonder what she had to confess every week. Apart from her deafness, Mama was perfect, as sinless as a priest unlike him. None of us is perfect yet, Mama argued with her hands in expression. It is only through union with our Lord, through the sacraments, that we can become perfect. We are blessed to receive absolution every week. Have you forgotten Bastian already? Of course not, Papa signed impatiently. He is lucky if he sees a priest once a year. Joseph knew his mother's brother lived somewhere in North Carolina, surrounded by Protestants. Here, we even have a priest who knows our language. Father LaRoche does not know your language, Papa insisted, emphasizing the sign. He knows French. Your English is just as good, Anne. It's certainly better than his. I wish you'd confess to one of the Irishmen instead. Mama tensed. Father LaRoche, Father LaRoche makes you do penance for, Papa's hands hesitated, for being a woman. Mama drew in a sharp breath and crimson flooded her cheeks. Her eyes darted nervously to Joseph and his sisters. They were still watching, though Joseph didn't understand what Papa had meant or why it should make Mama blush. We were talking about Joseph. Please don't discourage him. Papa sighed, glanced away, then finally signed his consent. But he added aloud, If it's Father LaRoche's son, promise me you won't believe everything that French bulldog says. Joseph worried about Papa's soul, too. At Mass, he always looked bored or angry. Now Papa was acting as though a priest could be wrong. It was like saying God could be wrong. Thank you, Elizabeth, for sharing your wisdom and writing with us today. It's been a pleasure. I agree. Thank you for having me. 
Now it's time for our writing prompt. I suggest setting a timer for six or eight minutes, putting Elizabeth's writing prompt at the top of your page, and free writing whatever comes to mind. Remember, the important part is keeping your pen moving. You can always edit later. Right now, we just want to write something new and see what happens. Elizabeth has crafted this prompt just for you, based on the excerpt she read from her debut novel, Necessary Sins. Okay, write a scene in which a character interacts with a work of art. Maybe it sparks a memory, maybe it challenges the character's beliefs, or maybe the character knows the artist. This week's interview is especially fun for me because I know Elizabeth from high school English class. When I reached out to see if I could interview her, I was surprised that she didn't remember me because I certainly remembered her. She always held a special place in my imagination because she was the first person I knew who used a pen name. It was fun to get to ask her my questions. I really appreciated when she shared how she deals with those feelings we all get of not being good enough to tell the story. She said that she keeps a collection of nice things that people have said about her writing and reviews those when she's feeling insecure. I always feel relieved when the writers on this show share their rejection rates. It seems like if you're getting interest 5 or 10% of the time, that you're actually doing really well. So many times I've felt like a failure or told myself that I'm a bad writer because my work was rejected. Every time I hear the stats of other writers, it reminds me that being rejected isn't a measure of the quality of my writing. Now, a lot of us read our work aloud as part of the proofreading process, so I can't wait to try the read aloud feature in Word that Elizabeth told us about. I can just imagine myself pouring a cup of tea and listening to the computer read my work as I make notes in the margin of a printout. I can't wait to try that. If you enjoyed this show, please consider becoming a monthly supporter on my website, I send a thank you package to supporters at the $6 a month level and up. I'm Sarah Gallagher, and you've been listening to Fierce Women Writing. Tune in next Thursday for my interview with Tara Lynn Massey, author of My Real Name is Hannah, a finalist for the 2019 National Jewish Book Award. Become a supporting member of the podcast with a monthly contribution at FierceWomenWriting.com. Get more writing prompts and engage with other writers on our Instagram page at FierceWomenWriting. Remember, women is spelled with an X. You can also help us reach more writers by sharing this episode with a friend and subscribing, downloading, and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening.